we can go ahead now and turn to the book of Colossians chapter 4 as we finally close out this letter. I say finally, but honestly, I wish we could stay in it a little longer. It's been so good, hasn't it? If you haven't been with us, we've been slowly going through this letter that Paul has written from prison to this church in Colossae, a church he's never been to, but he's received kind of an update from Epaphras about what's taking place there, and he's writing this letter now from prison to send to them. Uh, we've, we've themed our study through Colossians all in all, because really those first two chapters are about Jesus being the all-sufficient one, where there were other things trying to creep in, other doctrines um, that were trying to creep into the church and say that it was Christ plus something else, that there was this legalism taking place, and you need to follow these rules to really receive salvation, or where there was these others come in and say, no, you need a higher knowledge. It's just about knowing and being enlightened in these deeper things that only we have. He would say, no, 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 no. You're complete in Christ. He is the all-sufficient one. We are made by him. We are made for him. And it is through him that we have our being and we exist. And in these last two chapters, Paul has really turned a corner to say, so because of that, here's how we should live as a people that have put off the old man and have put on the new man, that have set our mind on things above and are putting to death our members on earth. And then here in chapter 4, we come to this conclusion. Um, It's this farewell final statement. He's going to give some acknowledgments to a list of different people, but why don't we just jump in in verse 7 of chapter 4, and read it. Here's what it says. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will make known to you all the things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, Grace be with you. Amen. Let's pray as we study God's word this morning. Lord, as we come before your word this morning, God, as we close out this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. 
Lord, we believe that these are more than mere words. These are the living, active, inspired, powerful words of God. And God, although this, this letter was written to a church long ago, we know that it is still true and has truth for your church today. God, I pray that we would be a people who have ears ready to hear, hearts ready to receive, and hands ready to apply your word. Lord, where there is encouragement needed by your spirit, would you speak it forth? Where there is conviction needed over a sin or a struggle in our lives, Lord, would your spirit bring it? God, where there is greater insight needed into a situation or your character or the church as a whole, God, would you bring it? But God, this morning as we study your word, would you unify your people and your spirit for your glory? And it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Do you realize that in our culture, it is our tendency to elevate famous athletes, movie stars, and miracle, miracle, that's not what I was trying to say, musical artists to a hero status. But what we often overlook are the unseen heroes that got them there. We all know the famous basketball players and, and the musical artists that have the top hits and and the movie stars that are in all of our favorite movies, but do we realize all the people behind the scenes that helped them get there? The coaches who trained them, the, the parents who time and time again drove those kids to events and practices and games and paid for the equipment and the training. What about the teammates and the agents who helped carry the load and put in a good word and, and get them the opportunities that help them get to where they are. Were it not for them, the star athlete, the, the movie star, would never have made it in the first place. Well, the same is true in the Christian faith within the work of the ministry. The making of disciples, the great commission, the building of God's church, and the spreading of his word Behind the curtain of every hero of the faith we see within Scripture is an army of unseen saints faithfully doing their part as a part of the body to help move the mission of God forward. You know, Charles Spurgeon, when he was asked about the success of his ministry, he would always bring people to his boiler room. The basement of the church where people were always on their knees in prayer. And it was here that he would say is the powerhouse of the church, the reason for its success. It wasn't the person on the stage. It wasn't the name everyone knew. But there lied the reason for its success. I'm sure we've all heard the name Billy Graham. A man who proclaimed the gospel to millions. But when we pull back the curtain behind Billy Graham, we, we find a man, Mordecai Ham, under whose ministry Billy Graham came to Christ. But when we pull back that curtain a little further, what we find behind Mordecai Ham was Billy Sunday, the one who greatly influenced Mordecai Ham into ministry. 
But we could take it a step further, and what do we find? But behind Billy Sunday, J. Wilbur Chapman was the greatest influence in his ministry. And we continue to tease it out a little further, and we find that behind J. Wilbur Chapman's ministry was Dwight L. Moody, the one who brought him to Christ. And so we've got Moody to Chapman to Sunday to Ham to Graham. But if we just took it one step further, we would find behind the curtain of Dwight L. Moody was Edward Kimball, the Sunday school teacher that led Moody to Christ. But that's all we really know about Kimball. But look at the chain of events that took place because this unseen saint was faithful within that children's ministry to share the gospel with one young boy that God called him to share with. And then this ripple effect that takes place from there. We all know the name Billy Graham. Not many of us know the name Kimball. And yet we see the work God did through him. Well, this is because as a church we're called a body. A group with many different parts, each with its own function, but a single unified greater purpose. There are visible parts of the body, the head, the hands, the feet, if you're wearing sandals. But these parts are no more important or necessary than the hidden parts like the brain, the heart, the blood, the kidneys. In fact, we could probably argue this morning that the visible parts are much less important, at least some of them, than some of these invisible parts of the body. You can live without an ear, without a finger, without a toe, but you go ahead and try and live without a brain or a heart. It's not possible. Within the body of Christ, within the work that God is doing here, there are invisible parts, unseen parts behind the veil that don't get the attention on a Sunday that you may not know the name of, but are critical to the life and function and growth of the church. In fact, even a mighty man of God like Paul that we give so much credit to writing so much of the New Testament and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Recognize this. As we see here in his closing remarks, behind the curtain there was an army of unseen saints that made the work that he was a part of possible. And if you're taking notes and you want to write down a title, that's the title for you, The Army of Unseen Saints. These men that are going to get recognition here in the final closing remarks of Paul that were all critical in the gospel going forth and the success of Paul's ministry. Now, we all recognize that ultimately the head of all of this is Christ. The power behind all of this is the Holy Spirit. But God sees fit to work through these men. These unseen saints that were behind the curtain. The first of which we read here is Tychicus. We read that he was a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord of Paul. And his name actually means fortunate. Now, I'm not sure who was more fortunate, Tychicus for getting to be in the ministry with Paul, or Paul for having a beloved brother and faithful friend like Tychicus. 
Tychicus was the deliverer of this letter, the messenger that would go and take it. They didn't have email. There was no text message. You couldn't throw this letter in Dropbox, okay? This had to be handwritten and then hand-delivered by a man who would go on foot and deliver these letters to the churches. It was Tychicus that would deliver the letter of Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon, three of the prison epistles. He would be responsible for carrying it to the church and then often opening up this scroll and reading to the people Paul's letter to them. But Paul, first and foremost, doesn't mention that Tychicus is his messenger, but that he is a beloved brother. Our deepest friendships, I don't know if you know this, but they're found in the family of God. The deepest relationships you will ever have, the true koinonia, the Greek word that is used for fellowship, is found in the family of Christ. You know, Amos speaks to this in a subtle way when it asks this question in chapter 3, verse 3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Now, there is a basic agreement that you can have with anyone. There are others outside the faith that can give us advice and counsel and offer a listening ear and that you can find like-mindedness with in some surface sense. But it's only those who know Christ, who have had their ears opened, their eyes opened, whose hearts have been changed and whose priorities have been realigned to those of Jesus, that we can deeply find comfort and encouragement and support in times of difficulty with. And for Paul, Tychicus was one of those friends was one of those brothers, that it was a deeper level of relationship than just we work at the same place and we like the same football team and we have similar likes and dislikes. No, this was a deeper level of friendship. This was a bond of brothers who were united in Christ. These were people that agreed that the most important priority in our lives, everything else gets funneled through who is Jesus and our surrender to him. But also, Paul describes him here, not only as a beloved brother, but as a faithful minister. Now, this word minister isn't what we would probably first think of. It's not a clergyman. It's not a pastor. The word minister actually is diakonos. It's where we get our word deacon. It's a servant or a trustworthy assistant, as one translation puts it. There are few words that exceed the compliment of being called faithful in ministry. Of all the compliments you could be given, there are few that will reign as true and, and, and last as long as hearing the word that you've been faithful. Is that not the very word we, we strive towards and long to hear one day as we stand before our Lord and Savior, that he would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You could be called many things, but my hope and prayer is that you would be called faithful, that you would be found faithful with whatever the Lord has entrusted to you, that you would be a good steward of it. And what I'm thankful for is just as we worshiped today, and we know to be true that even when we are faithless, we serve a God who remains faithful. 
Paul says, Tychicus, this is a man I can count on. One who is faithful in the service of the Lord. And lastly, Paul describes him as a fellow servant in the Lord. These are the people Paul wanted around him in ministry. Men and women that weren't too big for their britches when it came to serving the Lord. Men and women that didn't say, ah, that's below me. Have someone else do that. But men and women that said, I'm, I want to be great in God's eyes. And to be great in God's eyes is to be in service to everyone. And so men and women that said, I'll do it. I'll help. How can I serve them? How can I love them? How can I support what God is doing here? This was Tychicus with Paul. And Paul had entrusted three things to him here. He was to tell the news about Paul to this church. He was to know of their circumstances so that they could give a report back to Paul. And he was to comfort their hearts, to encourage them to not grow weary when doing good, to not lose heart because the Lord was at work in them. And here's what I love about this. These three tasks that Paul has given to Tychicus to do, he can't do them. For all the great things that we give credit to Paul for doing, these are three things that it is impossible for Paul to do. Paul cannot leave. He's chained to a guard. He's not going anywhere. He cannot do this, but Tychicus can. And Tychicus, the beloved brother, the faithful minister, and the fellow servant, is willing to go, to make the journey, to bring the news, to give an account of what's going on with Paul, to hear about what's taking place within the church, and to comfort and encourage the people. Never underestimate the importance of just being a faithful comforter and encourager within the body of Christ. It's essential. It is so important. There are people even here today that you may not realize need that word of encouragement, need that comfort that you can bring. And Paul can't be the one to go there and be in the presence of these people, but he can send this man, Tychicus, to go. Maybe you'd feel like there are more qualified people, but, but God has you there. And you can be his presence in that moment to those people, to that place, to that situation. Don't underestimate the power of what the Lord can do through you in that moment. And for this moment, for all the great things that Paul could do, he couldn't do it. And this is why we need the body of Christ. This is why there are no lone rangers as we follow the Lord. Because we all have limits. And maybe some of you, you push against those. Maybe some of you deny those at all costs. Every single one of us here have limits. Limits to where you can go. Limits to what you can do. Limits to who you can reach. Limits to your time and your energy. We all have limits. And I love what Paul David Tripp has to say about our limits. He says that limits are not a prison. They are a grace. We do not have to curse our weaknesses because our weaknesses are a workroom for his grace. God has built you and designed you with limits and those are his grace so that you would depend on him where you are weak so that you would unify with a body where we all have different strengths and weaknesses. You're going to be really disappointed in your hands if you count on them to walk for you. 
and you're going to be very disappointed in your nose if you expect it to do your seeing for you. And you can try as hard as you want, and it's going to fail you. But when you just allow the nose to do its job and the hands to do their job, you are far more effective in what you're trying to accomplish. In the body of Christ, you are going to be so discouraged if you're always looking at someone else in their strength and saying, why can't I do that as well as them? And why can't I do that as well as them? And why can't I do that as well as... Because that's not what you were called to do. But God has designed you with a specific purpose. And he's gifted you to do that. And when we all are allowing the Lord to use us in the ways he sees fit for his glory, we can be a body unified that can function in a way that glorifies the Lord. Paul isn't sending Tychicus alone, though. We also read here of Onesimus, the faithful, beloved brother, who is one of you. Onesimus was a runaway slave of Philemon in Colossae. He ran away to hide, most likely, in Rome. But this man who ran away to hide would be sought out and found by a God you can't hide from and can't run from. And he thought he's running from here to escape from his slavery and his imprisonment, and he was going to find a God who was going to free him from it. He didn't have to run from it. A man with a bad past, a bad name, a history, a record, but a man now saved by grace and brought into the family of God and given a hope and a future with a new identity in Jesus. And he was sent back with Tychicus with a letter to his master, Philemon. A letter you can read within the New Testament. A letter to his master written by Paul to receive him back and forgive him his debt. But Paul doesn't describe Onesimus here as the runaway slave that needs to make well with his master. He says he's a faithful, beloved brother, but these words here must have struck to the heart of Onesimus. He says, who is one of you? Understand that this is profound in a culture where slaves were seen as property. Where slaves were seen as just a tool that you could use to accomplish a task. And here Paul says, no, no, no. Onesimus, he's one of you. He's a brother. He's part of the family. And you're to treat him as such. You are to forgive him his debt and you are to welcome him in. Aren't you thankful that in Christ your past doesn't define you? That when we come to Jesus, you're no longer what you used to be. What you used to be known for, the sin that you've struggled in and maybe still continue to struggle in, it doesn't define you in Christ. And that you're not the one on the outskirts in the corner and then there's everybody else at church. You are one of us. The old things have passed away. And we who once were far off, we've been brought near because of Jesus. This is the testimony of Onesimus. And if we're being honest this morning, this is our testimony as well. A people that were slaves to sin. And no matter how much you tried to run and hide from it, you couldn't leave it until you came to Jesus. The one who brings freedom from bondage. 
the one who gives you a new name and a new identity, and the one who says, now you're one of the body of Christ. You're part of the family of God because of what he's done to pay the price for our sin. Once a people running from the cause of Christ, now a people in the race of faith, all because of Jesus. We then move on to Aristarchus. He says, my fellow prisoner, he greets you. This was a Macedonian man from Thessalonica, and he's traveled with Paul through some pretty difficult situations. Aristarchus is that companion that sticks with Paul through thick and thin. Let me just list for you the times he's mentioned with Paul in Scripture. We see him in Acts 19.29 when a riot breaks out in Ephesus and Aristarchus is seized by this angry mob. We then see him in Acts 27. He's put on a ship to Rome as a prisoner with Paul. And if you know that story, you know that ship doesn't make it there in one piece because later in chapter 27, they are shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And what do we read here? But in Colossians 4, he's now a fellow prisoner in Rome with Paul. This is that devoted companion that no matter what the day may hold is found by Paul's side. And those aren't always good situations that you desire to be in. If someone was to say, man, I wish I could have just walked with Paul for a day. It's probably not the day he was seized by the mob or shipwrecked on the island of Malta. But Aristarchus has been with him through all of it. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Aristarchus is one tough cookie. Man, do him and Paul have some stories they could tell when they sit down at the dinner table with others. I remember that time we got arrested. Remember that time that mob tried to kill us? Remember that time we got shipwrecked and didn't know if we were going to make it? There is a comfort and a unity that comes from those we have suffered with, isn't there? People that you've gone through a difficult situation in life with, there is a bond that takes place there that there's nothing else quite like. Maybe you only met a week ago, but when you go through a shipwreck or an imprisonment together, you might as well be family because you've gone through such difficult situations And you've come alongside each other and found strength in that loyalty, that companionship. This saint, often unseen though, was a backbone to Paul in the hardest of times. He wasn't a man who ran away when things got difficult. We don't find him hiding in the corner as the mob comes in to get Paul. He's not trying to find a way to escape from prison. He is right there with him in chains, faithfully serving the Lord. And then we read of another who at one point was seen in contrast to Aristarchus, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. If you went through Acts with us as we studied through that book, you remember Mark, commonly called John Mark. He left with Paul on his first missionary journey, but part of the way through the trip, we see him heading home. Many believe he got cold feet. Paul just simply states that he departed from him and had not gone on with him to the work. And we don't fully know what it was that influenced John Mark, 
But what we do know is in Acts 15, 36 through 41, we see that Paul and Barnabas actually divide over him on the second missionary journey. Paul is content in saying he's staying behind. He left before. We're not bringing him on this next journey. And Barnabas, it says here, the cousin many believe to be the uncle of John Mark, is saying, no, we've got to bring this guy along. And it gets to the point that they decide we're dividing from each other. And Paul will go with Silas, and Barnabas will take John Mark and move on. But we see this man in the light of Aristarchus, a man who's loyal with Paul through everything, and it almost seems that there's a contrast here. But what's interesting is how Paul will describe him here. We see him as a second chance friend, a man once divided over, but now that he calls those in Colossae to welcome. Do you realize this, that God hates division? He hates it. It's not meant to be a part of the body of Christ. It's the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace that he desires for his people. And so Paul, however it happened, whatever took place, whatever work the Lord did in his heart, he has forgiven, restored, and united once again with John Mark to the point that he makes mention of him in his letter to say, Hey, if John Mark comes to you, greet him, welcome him, accept him. And this is more than just Paul trying to put in a good word or keep face with this church he hasn't been to. How do we know this? Because Paul writes of John Mark another time. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul writes this, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Now, I don't know your past experience, what it's been with the church, what it's been with people within the church. Maybe you've been burned before by a church or by people within the church. Maybe you've done some of the burning within the church. But what I do know is that God is in the business of restoring relationships. Paul and Barnabas divided, and we love to look at this story and use it as our reason for dividing in relationships and friendships all the time. But what we fail to do is also recognize that God brought unity back and restoration within that relationship. That a man that Paul was willing to divide over before, he now calls man, he's a friend, he's youthful to me in ministry, and I want you to welcome him and receive him as a brother. There's a restoration that took place there and a forgiveness that went on. And God is in the business of restoring broken relationships. He's done it in our relationship with him. And he desires to do it in our relationship with others as we see in Mark's situation here. Are there people in your life you've divided over things that aren't essential and now you recognize the fault? Maybe the bigger person. Take a lesson from Paul here. Humble yourself. Allow the Lord to restore that relationship and bring unity once again. We then read of Jesus who is called Justice, and I don't blame him. I would want another name as well if my name was Jesus. Can you call me something else, guys? Justice. Here's what I love about Justice that's mentioned here. We know nothing about him but his name. 
We can, we can summarize some things because of the group of men he's mentioned with here and kind of the overall summary Paul gives of this group of men. That he's a fellow worker for the kingdom of God who's of the circumcision and he's proved to be a comfort to Paul. This is truly the unseen silent servant. He's the, what I like to call the witnessing wallflower. He's, he's in the back of the room and you may not even notice him and not a lot is written about him except that he's a comfort to the believers and a fellow worker for the kingdom of God. Justice didn't slay any giants that we read about. He wasn't swallowed by a big fish. He didn't toss or get tossed into a lion's den. We don't read about him killing a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. He wasn't the wisest man to ever live. And he didn't preach the gospel to masses at Pentecost but he was faithful to encourage the believers and to work for the kingdom of God. Now, some of these names we read about, maybe they feel distant to you, unattainable, so far from who you are. But justice, it's in his name, isn't it? Just us. Just an ordinary man. Nothing special that needed to be noted but he's written in the inspired, eternal, living scriptures for his faithful service unto the Lord. Never forget the greatest commandment that God gave, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And what do we read about him? That he was a fellow worker for the kingdom of God, that he loved the Lord, and that he was a comfort to Paul in prison. He loved his neighbor as himself. This guy wasn't a social media influencer. He didn't have a whole book written about his life story and accomplishments. There's no title or degree to recognize, but he was faithful in the greatest commandment. He was great where it mattered most. And we could all do well to learn a thing or two from justice, a man just like us. We then read of Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, he greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. This pastor and prayer warrior of the people, the one that came and gave an account to Paul and brought awareness to him of what's going on, as best we know, the one that planted this church, this faithful disciple and leader who's praying always, who's praying and laboring, who's praying fervently and with great zeal that these people in the church might stand perfect and complete in the will of God. It's much like what we've been memorizing in chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, when Paul says, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it from him, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you see his influence within that prayer that they're praying in prison? That this is exactly what this man is known for. Man, he is constantly, fervently, zealously praying for you guys. This very thing that Paul says we're all doing together, 
We've caught on to what he's doing, and we're praying with him in this for you guys. This is the man, Epaphras. But we also read of Luke, the beloved physician, the author of the Gospel of Luke and Acts, the traveling doctor, the man on a medical mission for God, who's with Paul here. This was that man that was found with Paul all the way to the end. As we already looked in 2 Timothy 4.11, when he's asking for, for John Mark to come for him, for he's helpful in the ministry, he says these words, only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. And at the end of his days, as he's writing his final words, what a comfort that is to have this man with you to the end. Those friends that you know are going to be there till your very last day when you breathe your last breath. That was Luke. And he's a man using his profession that God has gifted in him for the glory of God. He's a physician. He's the doctor. He's the one that travels with them and can help their physical needs as they arise. Are you a business man or woman? Do you have a special trade or skill that you do full-time? Use it for the glory of God in whatever way he calls you to. God wasn't asking Luke to give up all of his pursuit in the medical field and his knowledge and expertise. You need to give all that up because you just need to be a teacher of the word because that's how I use people. No, God's going to use him exactly how he's gifted him and what he's skilled in for his glory. And God's going to use you in the exact place you're at to do ministry. Ministry does not only happen in this building. Ministry happens everywhere you are. And so how are you allowing the Lord to use your workplace for his glory? The skills and craft that he's given you, how are you using it for the furtherance of the gospel? Luke, a man with a medical expertise, he used it wherever he went on the mission field with Paul. And then we read of Demas, only mentioned three times in Scripture, and you see this trend that happens. He's mentioned here only as a fellow laborer. Nothing more is said of him. Or excuse me, he, that he greets them. Nothing more is said of him. In Philemon, we read that he's just a fellow laborer. And finally, in 2 Timothy 4, when Paul is saying that only Luke is with him and that he's asking for John Mark to return to him, it's because of this, he says, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. We don't know specifically what it was that drew Demas away, but in general, it's this mention that it was his love for this present world that drew him away. What's just as impactful as the help and encouragement of a faithful saint is the hurt and discouragement that comes from a saint that walks away. Some of the deepest disappointments that you'll face in this life, some of the, the harshest betrayals and the most heartbreaking fails and falls will happen to and through those you are closest to in the family of God. And there is not a single person in this room whose life does not make a difference. Demas make, gets a mention here. 
And Demas is mentioned as a man who has departed because no matter how insignificant he may have felt, it made a difference to Paul and it was worth writing about. No matter how introverted, how quiet, or how insignificant you may feel at times, no matter how much the enemy convinces you that if you left and never came back, it wouldn't make a difference and nobody would care or notice, don't believe it for a minute. Your presence makes a difference. And that's not just on Sundays. That's in every kind of situation you're in. At work, with your family, with your friends, your presence makes a difference. And we are better for it when you are here. Your friends are better for it when you show up. Your family is better for it because you're in it. Don't make the mistake of thinking that your life is insignificant and without purpose. God doesn't waste time. God doesn't waste, waste breath. He doesn't waste energy. If he had no longer a purpose for you, you would be with him. So the very fact that you are still here cries out to the fact that God still desires to use you. May your story never be one like Demas, who has allowed the cares of this present world to draw you away from the work of God. Remember, this is not our home. We seek a homeland that is to come. We are, a- we are aliens and pilgrims on this earth We set our mind on things above, as he has already said. Don't allow the things of this world to distract you, to pull you away from the things of the Lord. Demas did, and I'm sure it deeply hurt Paul to the point that he needed to mention it within his letter. We read of Nymphus and the church that is in. We see his house here. The reality is the language is so ambiguous, we actually aren't even sure if Nymphus is a boy or a girl. All we know is that this person named Nymphus held the church within their home. And much like justice, we get nothing else in all of Scripture about Nymphus. But what we know is that this was someone that hosted the church in their home. A faithful saint that was willing to host the work of God in their place of residence. Maybe they felt they had nothing else to offer and there were no special skills that came to the mind that they could use, but they could open up their home. And maybe you find yourself in a similar season. What can I do? What can I offer? Don't underestimate the power of opening up your home for a home group and the impact that can make as a a body of believers can come together and gather and be unified, and share their burdens, and be encouraged, and do life together. Because we have a check-in on Sunday, but my hope is all throughout the week that you're doing life with people in the body of Christ. And I'll tell you what, it's quite often that we hear of people that want to connect, but none of them feel like they have a good space for a group to meet in. Maybe you're that person that has the space they need. Be willing to be used by God to be like Nymphus here open up your home for the work of the ministry to take place in because God will use it God can be glorified in it and like Nymphus here it's an important part of the work of the ministry even if it's not where we give the credit of the life and health of the church to we then read of Archippus to take heed to the ministry which you have received from the Lord 
that you may fulfill it. Now we're not just reading about people with Paul. We're reading about someone in the church here he has a message for. First, it's worth noting that it is the Lord that had given him this ministry. Not the ministry that you've built up and created, but the ministry you've been given by the Lord. And none of us here today are an exception to that rule. Any ministry that we're a part of has been given by the Lord as he sees fit. My question for you today is this. What is the ministry God has given you and are you taking heed to fulfill it? God has given you a ministry, and it may not be on Sunday mornings at church, but God has given you a ministry. Are you taking heed to fulfill the ministry, to be found faithful in the ministry that he has given you? To take heed, it means to pay attention to, to be careful about. And Paul isn't calling him to something he doesn't also hold himself to. In 1 Corinthians 9, 27, Paul talks about how he disciplines his body and brings it into subjection, lest when he has preached to others, he himself should become disqualified. And then he goes on in 1 Corinthians 10, 12 to say, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. And here he is continuing that challenge also to Archippus to take heed lest he fall, to not allow pride to set in, to think that he built this ministry and this is his ministry. No, this is the Lord's ministry that he's allowed you to be steward of. Be faithful in it, but take heed. Humble yourself. Be careful as you step. This is the Lord's ministry. And Paul closes with this salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains and grace be with you. Amen. Paul would have a scribe that would write the things he was speaking. But in this closing moment, he takes the pen, he signs his own name, and he writes this phrase, remember my chains. Don't forget my sacrifice for you. Don't forget the cost of discipleship. He says, may the God of grace, may the grace of God be with you. Paul began this letter to the church in Colossae, asking that grace would be with them all, and it ends the same. Because we're not only saved by grace, we are sustained by grace. And so he starts with saying, the grace of God be with you all, and he closes by saying, may the grace of God be with you all the same. And as we close today, it's that same grace that we are saved in this morning. As I invite the worship team to come back up, we're going to be taking of communion together. And what we recognize is the incredible act of sacrifice that Christ's death on the cross was for us and also the incredible message of grace it was of God's riches at Christ's expense, of God giving his best for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's only by grace that any of us are saved in here today, and it's only by grace that we can walk out that door knowing that God still has work for us to do, and he'll be faithful in it to meet us. Paul is challenging a doctrine that had crept into the church 
that you were saved by grace, but now it's your works that you must continue in to be saved. And he's saying, no, 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 it starts with grace. I'm going to remind you at the very end, it continues by grace. And we this morning need to remember that as well. That it is not a perfect attendance every Sunday that is going to save you. And it is not a daily devotional that is going to save you. It's not the number of times you pray. It's not how good you did in this act or in that work or in this service. We're saved by grace. But grace is not a crutch that allows us to continue in sin. It is a catapult that launches us forward to greater works for the Lord. So that we submit our bodies as a living sacrifice before him. It's our reasonable service. It's our spiritual worship. It is the act of responding to his grace. So that we realize... I'm saved by his works alone. When he said on the cross, it is finished, he meant that. I don't have to add to that, and I couldn't. But I live in light of that fact that I am saved, that his mercies are new every morning, that nothing I could possibly do and nowhere I could possibly go could separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? And before we take communion this morning, I want to give an opportunity for anybody here that doesn't know that grace, that hasn't experienced that love and forgiveness that is only found in Jesus. It's not found anywhere else. That as you read about these people in the family of God and the the fellowship that's found there, you find yourself lacking because you haven't experienced that. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond. To raise your hand, if you need to, to say, Lord, I... I believe. And maybe, maybe you didn't plan this this morning, but the Lord is tugging at your heart. And you recognize your sin. You recognize your need for his grace and his salvation in your life. Scripture's clear what we need to do, and it's not work really hard. It's confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, and you will be saved. At the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached to the people, and they were cut to the heart, and they said, what do we do? He said, repent. Be baptized. Believe. This morning, you don't need to have magic words said over you. You don't need to go out there and prove yourself right here, right now. If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died for you, and that he paid the price for your sins, and you can receive salvation because of his finished work, you can be saved as well. And so I want to ask, is there anyone here this morning that wants to make that decision. We would love to pray for you. We would love to come alongside you. We would love to welcome you into the family of God. Is there anyone this morning that would raise their hand and say, that's me this morning. I want to make that decision. Hallelujah. Praise God. Anyone else? we want to pray for you this morning and then we want to enter into this time of communion together as the family of God let's pray for my sister right over here who just raised her hand would you extend your hand over to her in support as we pray for her together Lord we thank you for my sister over here and God I don't even know her name but she's a part of my family and you 
She's a part of our family in you. Lord, we thank you that no matter where she's come from, no matter, no matter where she finds herself, she stands before you forgiven. She stands before you complete in Christ. And no matter what the old life consisted of, the new life now consists of a person who is a new creation in Christ Jesus, where old things have passed away and all things are new. Where she is called your friend, Jesus. And she has a place in the Lamb's book of life. She has a spot for her in eternity with you because of the work of Jesus. We say, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Would you surround her with the body of Christ? Would you comfort her by your spirit? Oh, Lord, we look forward to the incredible ways that her story changes and is written for your glory. And we thank you that you are a God who saves, that there is no one too far gone that your blood cannot cover. And it is in your mighty name, Jesus, the name above all names by which we are saved that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you give a hand for her this morning? But would you stand as we close our final week going through this prayer that Paul speaks in chapter one. We've been memorizing this as a church. I hope that in this final week as we close this out that you would come to completion in memorizing that. But let's, let's say it out together, Colossians 1, 9 through 14. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Let's go ahead and close out with this song together in praise.